Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Seems to me that everything's scripted today. Everything's ready to go. On a macro level, the Super Bowl down in L.A. is ready to go. The police and the sheriffs are ready. The security people are ready. The military's ready. The ticket takers are ready. The people who put the mustard on the hot dogs are ready to go. Things are all scripted. It's all figured out with lists and organizations and all sorts of stuff. And there's contingencies for contingencies for contingencies so that everything goes great. And for those of you who maybe think that the game of football is spontaneous, rest assured, not in the least. It is highly scripted. The great coach who spawned off an assistant coach who became the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Sean McVay. I just had to do that today. What a sad thing that the Packers aren't in the Super Bowl today, but whatever. The only team in the NFL who beat both Cincinnati and the Rams and were sitting in five below in Green Bay, but whatever. Sean McVay has clearly scripted his offense today. He's a fine tactician. He's a fine strategist. He has a board in front of him that's huge with every contingency of every play, third and one on the 42, fourth and two in the middle of the field. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? A lot of it's boiled down to mathematics. It's kind of how it works. And on the other side of the field, the defensive coordinator has the same piece. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The linebacker screams and yells, the safety comes and plays up. He knows exactly what he's doing because it's all scripted, it's all on the page. They've looked through film and video, looking at tendencies and understanding exactly what the opponent will do. Everything is ordered and everything is set to go. The standard operating procedures are in place and perhaps yours are as well, at least I hope so. Perhaps you're not a football person, you're not a Super Bowl person, you said, Klinkenberg, when you get to the meat of the text, let me know, but all this Super Bowl stuff is kind of dumb. And to a degree, you're probably right, but it is a good excuse for families to get together and to hang out. My son and I yesterday had to go in on an extremely huge piece of meat because it was so expensive and so large going on the smoker probably already two hours. Our day is scripted as well. When we eat according to the kickoff, what we're having, what it looks like, who's going to be there, we'll be in the backyard, we'll be in the thing, when the baby takes the nap, all of those things, everything is scripted. Coffee, worship, breakfast, home, lunch, family, football, cleanup, bed. Always interesting that tomorrow is the day that the most people all year will call in sick to work. Fascinating. In our text today from Luke chapter 6, which Heather read just beautifully, Jesus throws a huge monkey wrench in humanity's script. He speaks of a script that includes poverty and hunger and thirst, of crying and mourning, of being hated and excluded. He says that these are good things on the script of the disciple. But it's so incredibly countercultural to the script that I have, you have, and probably the disciples had that day. 
Everybody lives according to a script. Everyone has a set of values or principles by which they make decisions and do what they do in their lives. And if we're honest with ourselves a little bit, if we have a moment of self-reflection and we look at the reasons why we do what we do, it seems that those scripts are woven into our minds and expressed almost automatically in our words, thoughts, and behaviors. And I would offer there's two pieces of the basic script for humanity. The first is quite simple. You get what you deserve. If you're a jerk, you get treated like a jerk. If you're kind, people treat you well. Other faiths call that karma. It's almost woven into humankind. What comes around goes around. You earn how you're treated in your life. It's this basic principle that allows us to kind of nod when things go well and go, yeah, I'm a pretty good person. That worked out great. And then when someone who's hateful gets what they deserve, then we kind of smile and nod and go, that's right, they had that coming. You get what you deserve. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Do good things and good things come around. Do hateful things and your life is difficult. You get what you deserve. It's part of the script. It's, it's kind of how, 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 how we order our, our lives. And the second piece is interesting as well. And maybe in 21st century Orange County, it's a little bit more here than it may be in rural Wisconsin. It's the idea that we avoid pain and pursue convenience. We avoid pain and pursue convenience. It's kind of how it works. My offset smoker that I did any number of Super Bowls with just didn't operate like the Traeger that I wanted. So you had to have the Traeger because it was a little bit more reliable. I could keep the temperature at 225 so the ribs would be a little bit perfect and come out right on time. It was just more convenient. It just works out that way. I want to have a car that has all of the creature features that I like, the automatic seat, the seat warmer for those incredibly cold days in Southern California that are just very, very difficult for me. And having lost weight, I'm much more susceptible to the forces of nature. It's always interesting to dig through pictures. Not long ago, last week, I dug through a whole box of, of pictures and I'm reminded of days gone by and how far we've come. I came across many, many pictures of my father-in-law and his dad, and even before that at the turn of the century in rural Minnesota, of plows that were pulled by horses, of threshing machines that were so complicated and so sophisticated that they could hardly run, but they were seen as technological improvement because you could go faster than you could just threshing by hand. Horse-drawn implements, dust bowls, outhouses have all given way to modern equipment, indoor plumbing, climate-adjusting irrigators, and the conveniences seem to work so well until they don't, until the straight-line wind blows all the crops over and the implement head on the front of the combine can't lift the crops up to cut them. And the farmer loses all of those bushels of corn. And inclement weather comes, either too dry or too wet. The aquifer's too low or too high. The fields don't do this or that, and then the bugs come, and 
The prices change for all the petroleum-based things and all the conveniences give way. And it just doesn't always work out. There's a bigger force working than just convenience and paying our way for what we want to make our lives easy. And while convenience and avoidance of pain aren't necessarily bad, I'm not trading my truck in anytime soon. This text gives us an opportunity to think about what is good and better and best in the script of our lives. It also allows us to think about those things in which we find meaning and purpose in our lives. Because if the focus is on gaining and purchasing things, we're always going to be one purchase away from where we want to be. We're always going to be one trip away from where we want to be. One gadget away from finding deeper meaning and contentment. If I just had, if I just bought, if I just possessed, then everything would be great. Not so, Jesus says in Luke chapter 6. Jesus' crowd is getting big. People are coming not just from Capernaum and the little villages. Now they're coming from Tyre and Sidon from the coast. Not just the Jewish people are being engaged in the synagogue, but, but, but the word is getting out with every healing, with every casting out of a demon, with every miracle that he does, with every, with every sermon message that flies in the face of the current religious culture in Palestine. Jesus adds more and more followers. His teaching has a, has a different power, a different authority. He doesn't need to say, this rabbi said, and that rabbi said, and that rabbi said. Rather, Jesus said, I, I say to you, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And with His authority comes a different way of thinking about and organizing life that is uniquely compelling to the people that day. And the crowds swell, and the cloud of dust that goes around the rabbi gets bigger and bigger as he goes from village to village and town to town. And so as he speaks, hearts and lives are engaged then as they are today in a different script, in a different understanding of how life works. And so Jesus begins to teach, blessed are you who are poor, you who hunger, who are weak, who are loathed, who are excluded. The call for these painful pieces to be on the script and to be put forward as good mystified the crowd that day and even the crowd this morning. For the script is flipped. The values of humanity are inverted for the values of the kingdom of God. And the strength of disciples that day and this morning are found in weakness, vulnerability, and want. And so Jesus points his disciples to a, a, a different set of teaching points than the rabbis of the day. He, he, he calls his people in painful things and in painful times of life to remind us that we don't have it all, we are all not self-sufficient and have it all figured out, but that we need the Lord God in all things. Jesus' presence with His disciples that day was there to teach, to heal, to cure, and the people came to be touched. 
we come here this morning for our hearts and our souls. We might be worn out in doing good. We might be frustrated by doing good and having a poor return. We may be worn out from pursuing things and finding convenience only to find that the the rich, deep things of life are avoiding us. And so this morning, tired and hungry and thirsty, we find satisfaction in Jesus, His presence, and His promises. For those who tear up and have suffered loss, tears are wiped away, and there's comfort found in healing in the Word and the promise of Jesus. And the principle that He puts forward is that when we are vulnerable and hurting, we find respite and peace and comfort in Him. And that's why I'm here today. The ebb and flow of protocol and procedure, the script for this, the script for that, and then the script changes, and we've got to do thus and such, and you've got to wear this and you don't wear that, and either way, you get a little ticked off because the script continues to change, and the floor seems to be moving underneath your feet. And so Jesus tells His disciples, you and me today, to put our trust and our lives in Him. And while we may be disappointed here, time after time and bit by bit, we'll also find confidence and peace and strength in being with Him and following after Him. What I love about this season of of Epiphany in these readings is that the crowd gets bigger. And it's kind of interesting because in church our crowd's getting bigger. It's kind of fun to see. I don't know if you watch, but I watch very closely who's in worship and who's not and all of those things. I'm kind of like, okay, wait a minute, what's going on? It's kind of fun to be able to see how it works and how it's going. I measure the health of our congregation by the amount of people here on Sunday. Two weeks ago, I would have said we were dying this week. I'd say we're on our way to heaven, and God bless us. This is great. It's interesting to me that the end of Luke's gospel, Jesus is on his own. As he speaks more and more of the kingdom of God and of things that are difficult and painful, the, the, the crowd dissipates. When Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you know, I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. I'm going to suffer and die and rise again on the third day. And the disciples go, no, 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 not not that, Jesus. That's ridiculous. Look at the crowd. Everyone's coming to see you. This is great. And the crowds get smaller and smaller and smaller. One disciple betrays him and the other 11 run away. And there on his own Before his father alone, Jesus gives up his life willfully. He is broken. He is mourning. He is hurting. He is excluded. And yet in that, his strength is found. For in his suffering and death, he redeems all humanity. The good things that we do are rooted in his love for us. The things that we do that are outside of His will, where we we say either look at us and look at how great we are, or we want to walk in the shadow of despondency. It's there that we are pointed to Jesus and to the cross and reminded that His sacrifice is where His power was made perfect. 
In Him our sins are forgiven. In Him grace is abundantly poured out upon us. And instead of getting what we deserve in Jesus, we find forgiveness and mercy and resolution at the foot of the cross when He is on His own. The scripts will be tested today in SoFi Stadium. It'll be interesting to see how it comes out. It'll be interesting to see how Sean McVay's offense goes against the Cincinnati defense. It'll be interesting to see how the whole event unwinds today. What'll be, what'll be interesting for me to see is kind of how L.A. responds and what it looks like. I'm reminded that getting into SoFi Stadium has been carefully planned and getting out is a complete madhouse. How will it all turn out? And how will your day and your week in this season of your life unwind in a way that's godly, that provides strength and peace for you so that when you put your pillow on your, he- uh, your head, on your pillow every night, that you have a deep and abiding sense of peace. As far as the football game, one team script will be better, superior. And yet the ball bounces the way the ball bounces, and even even a team that has it all together sometimes finds a way to lose, and the team with the weaker script finds a way to win. What of your heart? What of your life? What do you take home by way of meaning and richness and depth as you and your life works its way toward heaven. If you look carefully at that text, the, the, the gifts of the kingdom are not given so much here and now as they are given on a trajectory to heaven. Tears will be wiped away. People will be comforted. Those pieces of the future are pieces we grab and hold on to by faith in Jesus. And you are counter-cultural. In a world that seems to get darker moment by moment, the light of Christ shines more and more brilliantly through His disciples who go out into the world. One of the greatest joys I've had over the pandemic is to rewrite and redo the new member class. To take moments with people who don't come from a, a Christian background. And when we begin to talk about blessed are you and blessed are they, they, their hearts melt. And the gospel is new to them. It's a joy to see people's eyes light up at the mention of Jesus. Of His love and His kindness and His grace and His way of life. One of my favorite quotes is an old quote which you may have heard because I know I've used it before and it's something that speaks to my heart and to the heart of Christian people. Noted Catholic writer G.K. Chesterton wrote these words, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. As disciples, we follow where Jesus leads in good and in painful moments. And because we are His and He is ours, day by day and bit by bit, according to His script, 
we make our way heavenward. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.